0: let read together the first 14 verses of John chapter 1. Let us hear the Word of God together. John chapter 1 and verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all men through him might believe. He was not that light. But was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name." which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Amen. And our second reading from which the preaching will be taken this evening, is taken from the first epistle of John to the same human author. So 1 John, and again from the first chapter. And we read the whole of that short chapter together. Uh, Chapter 1 of 1 John, reading from the first verse. that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our eyes have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. Us that which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ his Son cleanseth us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Amen. And may the Lord bless the reading of his word to us uh, this evening. And it is with the... Um, It is with the Lord's um, gracious help this evening that we hope to examine the first four verses of John chapter 1. This actually continues our theme of considering the incarnation of the miracle of miracles that the Son of God becomes also the Son of Man. Uh, And so let us just read those first four verses uh, together once again before we pray. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled, of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. And That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. Amen. Let us pray, please. Our merciful and loving heavenly God and Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, who has the name above all names, and before whom all knees shall bow, and all will confess that Jesus is Jehovah, that he is the tri- that he is a God himself. He is one of the three persons of the Godhead, and he is the Lord sent from heaven. And Lord, we do thank thee that we may gather in and be fed by the word of God and by the word of life, the unscripturated word of life, the word that speaks of Christ, and his Spirit is the author of it. We pray, Lord, that thou will enable us to hear, and to hear believingly, that we may understand and, and see what this message means to us, how it, how it applies to us, how we may make use of it. And Lord, we pray that the Holy Ghost would do that great and important work i be the preacher, may be able to give a few suggestions of application. Lord, that thy spirit would bring this word sharper than any two-edged sword. So sharp it doesn't just enter into the ears, but it enters and penetrates the very soul itself. And may thy word do so, and may it bring life. May it bring that life by the word of life, a new life from death. And help me, O Lord, to preach this evening from thy word. And give unto me, O Lord, that help that I need. May these lips no longer be stammering. May the tongue no longer be tied. But grant me thy help and thy blessing, and thy power from above, to preach thy word. And may it all redound to the glory of God. For we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. As we were continuing our examination of Hebrews chapter ten and verse five this morning, I um, have to mention that there are, and we mentioned the previous week also, that there are many, um, there are many aspects of who this Jesus is that has been taken up by false religion and bad doctrine uh, that would twist uh, who Christ really is, and and we touched upon, I believe it was last week, or maybe even have mentioned this morning. Uh, that, you'd have, um, that you have the Jehovah's Witnesses, and the Jehovah's Witnesses declare that Jesus Christ is a mere created being. Uh, they, they, they try to elevate Him because they can't ignore the scriptural evidence too much, but of course they do <laughs> ignore it a lot. And it's very clear that, that Jesus uh, receives worship, that there are things that are attributed to Jesus that are only to be attributed to the divine, only to be attributed to God. And they get away with it because they have people who, 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 are, who believe their lies, uh, people who are not good Bereans but are bad Thessalonians, and so they don't study, they don't check to see if it is true. And so they're told then that all these aspects of, a, of not only a, a creature but the greatest creature that was ever made... Now, we understand these things to be blasphemous, that it is only God who is to be worshipped, that we see that in the Scriptures, even the highest angels will rebuke a, a mortal who will begin to worship them, say, no, 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 only unto God is worship to be given. And yet when John himself, on that Lord's day upon Patmos, when he sees a vision of Jesus Christ, what is his first thing that he does? He, he falls down on his face before Christ and worships Him, and Christ accepts that worship. Christ receives it. Christ is worthy of it. Christ is God. So we see with the Jehovah's Witnesses that they would they bring that false teaching in, therefore they have a false gospel. But also other, 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 other groups um, throughout the history of the church have come in with, with various other ideas. And one of the earliest groups, and actually around the time, even of the early church, even at the time of the, of the work of the apostles, and as we understand, even probably at the time of, the, of the, the epistle writing of the apostle John, which would have been before the fall of Jerusalem. The fall of Jerusalem is, is prophesied about, is promised by the Lord Jesus Christ, but itself is not mentioned as an event happening in any of the epistles, in any of the New Testament writings. And so therefore we understand, <clears throat> I'm not saying it's not pointed to in Revelation, but I'm saying it's not, it's not recorded as something that the church has undergone. And therefore we can understand that these New Testament writings were all completed before 69 and 70 AD when the Roman army sieged, besieged, besieged uh, Jerusalem and after a year Slaughtered, uh, entered in and slaughtered many, many million. Well, a million, according to Josephus, the historian. But around that time, then before before it had been um, before Jerusalem had been taken, there were still false teachers even in the church. And, and we look around us today and we consider, uh, you know, you'll, you'll have your your health and wealth preachers. You have all these uh, various false teachers. I mentioned a couple of the movements as well. Uh, the Mormons, the, um, the, the more extreme, um, those outliers that we would not even consider being part of the church at all, uh, but the Mormons, etc., but we could bring in the Roman Catholic Church, we can bring in the Greek Orthodox So, within the realms of the visible church, there is much false doctrine, and we see that today. And for many people, they say, well, it's a sign of the end times. Just see how much corruption is here. And yet, if we read the apostles correctly, they're saying, now, today, there are antichrists, there are false teachers, there are are those that would tickle your ears, and they will bring you down to destruction because they bring a false Jesus and a false gospel. But there is no other gospel than the one that comes from the apostles. Even if an angel was to come down from heaven and, and preach any other gospel, let them be accursed. There is only one gospel, and all the basic, not basic, the fundamental truths of the gospel we understand from the Scriptures. So one of those groups then was a group called the Docetics. The Docetics, and that's not a, that's a Greek word. And how would we translate That word, it means those that hold to the view of appearance only. Those that hold to the view of appearance only. That Jesus Christ, yes, He was the Son of God, but when He came to earth, He only appeared like a man. He looked like a man, but He wasn't a man. Because the docetics, they had this idea that everything that was of flesh, everything that was not just of the flesh, but everything that was of physical creation was sinful. And where did they get this idea from? Did they get it from the Scriptures? No, they didn't. Always beware when you hear anything that is not from the Scriptures. We don't need it. We don't need it as regards the knowledge of God and the knowledge of salvation. We only need the Scriptures. Sola Scriptura. Let that sink into your head and into your heart. But their ideas came from Greek thought it came from greek paganism certain ideas that the idea was that everything that was spiritual was pure and everything that was physical was wicked and it goes even further back into ideas about multiple gods and all these other things but we're not going to i'm not going to bore you with that so these docetics these people though believe that christ because christ was holy christ could not take on flesh and therefore he could only appear which is what that word means that he could only appear to have flesh he was as it were some sort of some sort of projection some sort of mirage he wasn't really he just appeared that we could see but in truth he was only pure spirit as we considered this morning a, a, and last week, if we do not have Christ joining Himself, if we do not have the Son of God joining Himself to our humanity, we have no substitute. We have no sacrifice. We have no salvation. And so that goes to a very core matter, a very core matter of the gospel, as is. So we have the incarnation is a core truth of the gospel, and so is the virgin birth, which, of course, is linked with it. If we, d- if we did not have the virgin birth, virgin birth is not some myth invented by the church just to make something uh, um, sound amazing about Jesus Christ. That was crucial to the true incarnation, that we would have a pure and spotless Lamb of God those 33 and a half years later to have nailed to that cross that John could say those, those, those three and a half years before, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. And how can he take it away? Because he is sinless and because he has taken on our humanity. So great problems with this. And it, it would appear to many those um, who study those first that first few verses as we will look at of, the, of John's epistle, that he's touching upon this, that he mentions this. That he says, you know, we have seen him, we, we, we have looked upon him, we've heard him, and we've touched him. So again, so we come, as we've looked at uh, uh, chapter 10 uh, of... Of Hebrews, we looked at chapter 2, all these truths that were brought in to confirm and to fulfill those Old Testament truths fulfilled in Jesus Christ. We're not going to repeat that or look into that this evening, but we are going to look at, with the Lord's gracious help, the apostolic testimony to the Incarnation. The apostolic testimony to the incarnation. And the reason why I say the apostolic testimony and not the apostles' testimony in this case, I'm not just talking about John, because John is not speaking just for himself. He's using the word we. Not that not, not John had a, had an idea that he was greater than anyone and must use a royal we In any case. He's speaking on behalf of the apostles as the last apostle, the longest lived apostle, as we understand. And so he's speaking on behalf of the behalf. Of the apostle when he gives the testimony, their testimony to the incarnation. So, firstly, let us see as we open up verse one. We see the apostles' experience, and that is a plural s, possibly. The apostles' experience, and he says that which was from the beginning. Again, this is John, and John of all the apostles, of all the uh, gospel writers. And here is he is, is writing as, uh, as a, an, a, an apostle, writing a letter, a general, a letter to the churches. But he, he begins always with the deep things. That's why we read John chapter, part of John chapter 1. We, we come diving into to depths of theology, which is why John has nicknamed John the theologian. Uh, John the divine, which is what divine means, the theologian. So John the divine, the apostle whom J- Jesus loved, has opened up to us by the power of the Holy Ghost uh, such depth about who Jesus is, and that's why his uh, gospel is so different, his gospel account is so different from the other three gospel accounts. He speaks with a depth, uh, um, in some ways of a difficulty, in declaring in the beginning was God, right? We can get that. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So we seem to have two separate things. In the beginning was the Word. We understand that, and then the Word was with God, right? And then it says the Word was God. And he says that in such a simple way, and with all the depth that John has. His writing is actually very simple. He writes very simply, and even the Greek is the simplest in the New Testament. It reads almost like English. It has a very, a very simple flow to it, and yet in that simple flow, we have the depths that are revealed about the Lord Jesus Christ. And he begins again this first letter with the very the same sort of style that which was from the beginning. He doesn't say that which was created at the beginning, but that which was from the beginning. Well, the beginning of what? Well, clearly, the beginning of creation. That which was from the beginning of a creation. We say, why does he say that? That's just, that's just to do with, uh, he's, not, he's, not, he's, not in, uh, he's not making Christ into a non-person by saying that which. Uh, that's just the grammar of the Greek. We're not going to go into that. So he who was from the beginning, we would say in modern English, whom we have heard, whom we have seen with our eyes, whom we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. What is he saying? He's, he's saying we understand something as apostles, that this Lord Jesus Christ is something more than a teacher, something more than a human rabbi, and yet he was human. So that's what he's pointing out when he says about their experience as apostles. They saw something of his humanity. We shall also see that he says that we saw something of his divinity, but they're talking about the humanity because they say they heard him. They heard a real voice preaching into their ears. This was not a a mirage. This wasn't some sort of dream or vision that they were experiencing for three and a half years. They saw him open his mouth and they heard his words. They heard his his preaching. That which we have heard, and we'll link on later on to their own uh, testimony and fellowship with the doctrine of Christ. But that which was from the beginning, which we have heard. Here we have... One of the apostles declaring that they have spent three and a half years. They have gone the length and the breadth of the Holy Land. They've gone out of the Holy Land. They've gone into pagan areas and they have watched him. They've heard him. They have heard him. That's the first thing he says. You might think, well, we've seen him. We've spent time with him. But the first thing, and it's the abiding thing that that remains with John, is that they heard the preaching of Jesus Christ. They heard the words of life coming from the word of life. They heard him. His preaching, his exhortations, his rebukes, and that, that word that resounds still in their heart and in their minds, because that which was from the beginning, we heard him, we heard him preach. Something to look forward to, to the true believer, to hear the voice of Jesus Christ in glory, speaking the words of truth, preaching to us, leading the worship in the great congregation before God in the glory. But they heard him. And he says, which we have seen with our eyes. Yet, of course, we heard him, but it wasn't a disembodied voice. Again, it wasn't a vision. We, we saw him. We, we saw that he had a body. It doesn't go into those details here, but you must have something to see to see with, that your eyes may see. He says, we have seen with our eyes which we have looked upon. And now we, in our English, might think that's the same thing. And in the Greek, it isn't. There were four main words that were used in Greek for looking upon something, and they all had their own specific aspect. We have seen with our eyes is exactly what we would use. It can, it can mean, just mean something very, very. you know, I've, I've seen the color of the pews and they're brown. I've seen it. It doesn't mean anything more than the fact that you've taken something in with the eyes, but the looking upon, this is a gazing. This is a gazing and a feasting upon. I haven't just seen him, but I have spent hours looking at him. I have spent hours looking at him as he preached and as he taught. I have spent hours looking upon him as he showed compassion to those people who were like sheep without a shepherd. I have seen how he spoke the truth at all times. I have been a witness. I have gazed in wonder upon him. And we can say this about John, that he gazed in wonder on the Mount of Transfiguration together with the other two, uh, disciples. He has looked upon Jesus with that wondering, gazing look. And then he moves on, having heard the preaching, having seen this glorious God-man in his ministry, having looked upon him and gazed upon him. And then he moves on to the what I think is a very important point as regarding the incarnation. And he says, "...and our hands have handled..." We've touched Him, we've held His hands, uh, we've lifted Him over a wall, we've, we've brought Him bread, he's, He has touched us, we have handled Him, we have had human contact with Him. Again, this, 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 this completes the picture for us, that the apostles have heard Him, and they've seen Him, they've gazed upon Him, and they have touched Him. Again, He's not been far, far away from them because they were His immediate followers They have been with Christ. They've handed Him His cloak. They they, they have been with Him and, and all of these mundane daily things with Him day in and day out for years. They've touched Him. He is flesh. He is blood. They know that He becomes tired. They know that He becomes thirsty. They know that He needs food. They have touched Him and they know that He is man. So having given that witness of the humanity of Christ, he still begins with that which is from the beginning, linking it immediately into that witness of the humanity of this Jesus of Nazareth. And he finishes the same verse, again bringing in this this eternal truth of Jesus, that which was from the beginning of the Word of life. He is the Word. And we know that... That is the expression that John uses a number of times. It's how he opened up the beginning of his gospel account. In the beginning was the Word. And so it is from John that we have that, the Word, the spoken Word of God, the very Word, and he speaks nothing else but the words that he has heard, and we'll see that in our second point. But he is the Word of life. And it is that word of life that we saw in John chapter 1 that is a gospel word of life, that it is that gospel word that would go forth, that he is the word of life to a world of death. The word of life to a world of death. Uh, and those who, was, who are saved and have been walking with the Lord, and the longer that we walk with the Lord and the longer that the Lord sanctifies us, how much more of that death do we still see in our members? Do we will notice as in the body that, that, the, that, that sinful nature that's still there, but thank God that the word of life entered into the soul and brought new life and gives us therefore new desires and new tastes and new wants and new relationship new relationships, even with the people of God. So that which was from the beginning is the word of life. So that hints and gives... So that, in many ways, we see the humanity connected with the divinity of Christ, which he opens up a little bit more in this parenthesis. We see in verse, that verse 2, is actually a parenthesis. He's adding information about the word of life before he continues, and that which we have seen and heard declare we unto you. So therefore, our apost- apostolic experience, we're then going to declare unto you. But that's our third point. Let's go back to verse 2 and see having seen the apostles' experience and the great privilege that they had. Secondly, the apostles' witness, because here they witness uh, of the divinity of Christ. For the life, that is this word of life, he is the life, was manifested. It was shown, it was revealed, and as we understand in the context, is incarnate has become man, has become flesh that they have heard and seen and looked upon and handled. The life was manifested. And again he says, And we have seen it, and we bear witness and show unto you. So that which has been is the same word. That which is shown unto us, we show unto you. I'm jumping ahead of myself. The apostles' witness, that which is shown, And we bear witness that eternal life. So this word of life is also an eternal life. I'll take you back again to John uh, chapter 1 and to see not all that's in there, but just that crucial truth that is there, that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he goes on to give all these attributes of God. The same was in the beginning with God. Again, it seems to split that apart again. And all things were made by him. Well, who who is the creator? Well, it's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Emphasizing now that the Son is also the creator. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Not anything. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. So all of our lives, every life in here in the building, every life outside in the neighborhood, every life that exists on the planet has its life, has the light of life because the Son of God gives it. He is your creator. And He gives that light and the light shineth in darkness. This is where the light who is the word of life of Jesus Christ himself, that he comes into the world and the world does not comprehend, it does not understand, and the darkness, that's us by nature, that's the world, it comprehended him not. And having spoken about John, who was not the light, but was a witness to the light, and he says again that, that wonderful truth in verse 9, that was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He is the Word of and he is the light, and in the beginning he was with God, because in the beginning he was God. And so the apostles also witness, therefore, uh, to the divinity of Christ. that he, they, they bear witness unto us and show unto you that this life and this light is an eternal life. He has always existed, and he will always exist, but what they're also hinting at is that in him is to be found eternal life. Eternal life is to be found in Him, and without Him, what do we have? Without the gospel, without the Savior, what do we as sinful humans have? We have eternal death, only eternal death. But Christ is come to give life and to give light and show unto you that eternal life that was with the Father and was manifested unto us. The incarnate Son of God shown unto us, and we have seen him, as I've mentioned already. They have seen his, his, his working of miracles. They have seen him do that which no man can do. They, they've seen him feed 5,000 from, from a few loaves and fishes. They have seen him raise the dead by a command that the dead cannot hear but must hear. And then that, 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 that glorious moment upon the mount which we looked at in some detail just a few weeks ago, where we see Christ and we see Elijah and we see Moses and we hear the voice of God commending and glorifying His own Son, whose very desire, the Son that is, is to glorify His Father. They have seen these things. They have been manifested unto them and they have understood to some degree, and John, as we know, understands quite deeply something of Jesus and who He is. So the apostles' witness is also this, that this, is the, 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 this, this Jesus of Nazareth is more than just Jesus of Nazareth. He's more than just born in Bethlehem, but he has an eternal existence. He had an eternal existence. He has now an eternal existence. He is that eternal life, which was with the Father, referring, as it were, to his own uh, John 1 and chapter 1. It was with the Father, was with God, and has now been manifested unto, unto us As the apostles. So we have the apostles' experience and we have the apostles' witness. And thirdly, we have the apostles' fellowship. The apostles' fellowship. So taking all of those things on board that he said in in verse 1 and then the parenthesis in verse 2, we come on to verse 3, which reads as follows That which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you. This is whom we preach as apostles. We preach Christ and Him crucified. We preach the Lord of glory. We preach the eternal life. We preach the Savior sent from God and no one else. We've seen it, we've heard it, we are the witnesses and therefore it is they that write or have written the New Testament uh, books. They are the authors or they are the... They preside over the authorship of all that we see. And we needed their witness. We needed their eyewitnesses. So important that we have the eyewitness of the apostles so that we can understand and believe what they say about Jesus. We were not there. We have not heard Christ in that way. We have not seen him. We've not looked upon him. We haven't handled him. They have had that privilege But they then give that on. They don't just keep it from themselves. They, they go on and they give and they give forth all that they have seen and, and they write it down. Peter writes. Um, we know that um, Jude writes, James writes, Peter writes, John writes. Luke, who wasn't of that time, but wrote under apostolic authority. The same with Mark, wrote under the authority of Peter, as we understand. And so they're giving it forth that everything that we've seen and witnessed, and, and, we, and we are being absolutely honest, we could add those words in, we are then declaring unto you. We're preaching unto you. We're revealing unto you the Christ that we knew and we met. We're writing. We're preaching. We're going on our various missionary journeys that, that many more would hear that God has a solution to your problems and your greatest problem is sin. And God became man to die upon the cross in your place repent and believe the gospel that's the that's the apostolic uh, understanding then and touches upon their doctrine that we see the doctrine that which we have seen and heard declare we unto you we write it to you we preach it to you and why is that that ye also may have fellowship with us so the the first fellowship that he's speaking about is a fellowship of doctrine a fellowship of belief doctrine is important I know there's much in the world that would speak against doctrine, but that is not of the Scriptures. That's not of the Scriptures. The doctrine is important. Doctrine can be dry, but doctrine is still very important. The dryness, by the way, does not lie in the doctrine. It lies in the preacher. But the doctrine itself for glorious. What are these doctrines? These are teachings. That's all doctrine means. The teachings the teachings of the truth of who Jesus is, of who God is, of what the gospel is, of all these matters that we have, and the whole, whole of the Word of God pointing to Jesus Christ. And that's the doctrine, the doctrine of, of man, the doctrine of man saying that man is dead in trespasses and sins, and a corpse can do nothing to help himself but God. But God, who is rich in mercy sent forth His Son to become a man to die upon the cross, that all who ever believe in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. And so, the first fellowship that we have when He's speaking of the apostles' fellowship is their doctrine. It's what they teach. Do you have fellowship with them? Do you have true apostolic doctrine? There are so many... There are so many doctrines in the world which are not coming forth of the Scripture, or if they do come forth from the Scripture, they are not in the same balance as the Scripture. We have doctrines that are revealed to us very fully and very deeply, and others are just added on. Does that make them less important? No, they're all important, but the the doctrines that the Lord repeats and opens up and, and gives us the depths of is obviously things that we need to understand more We must have the whole counsel of God, yes, but in the proportion that God gives us, in the proportion that the apostles and the Old Testament prophets would teach us. We need teachers. And is this the fool that says that they don't need being taught, or they've learnt enough in the past, they don't need any more? Brethren and sisters, do you not know how sinful the memory is? Do you not know how sinful your memory is? and our understanding, and the things that you half understood 20 years ago, you never really understood. And that's why the Lord brings us every Lord's Day into His house to be taught, to be taught the doctrines of Christ and all the other wonderful doctrines that are connected to it, or hang off it. We need it. We need to be corrected. Do not think that even even if you've attended... Um, a, 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 a good, reformed, evangelical Christian church um, year in and year out that you've been able to absorb as much as is given because it surprises me that, that there are those who, who have misunderstood something and yet have been under the preaching for years and years. And where that fault lies is not the, is not the situation at the moment. Of course, it, it, the fault in theory, lies with both the preacher and the hearer, somewhere uh, the the fault is. Also, not being good Bereans and going home with that message and reading it open, uh, you know, has the Lord spoken thusly? So doctrine is very important, but when we believe the doctrines of the Scriptures, as I said, in the way that they are taught not to be out of balance with the Scriptures and certainly not adding things in. Let us not be Pharisees. The Pharisees talk about the 613 laws that are in, that are in Moses that they are supposed to, 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 um, to obey and understand, but they added thousands of extras upon it and gave complication upon complication, and the tradition of man making to no effect the Word of God. Now, let us not even do one addition. Let us not add one addition to the Word of God. The Scriptures are sufficient, are they not? without us adding anything to it. In fact, it's an accursed point. Add ye not, nor take away from the Scriptures. So let us take all of the doctrines of the Scriptures and in their context, let us understand them. Let's seek to understand them. Let's seek to know them. Because the, God, the Lord God does not give us them for no reason. He doesn't give us this big book and then we just lay it to one side and say, oh, I can do this Christian faith on my own. I mean, that's just like the man or the woman who buy an expensive machine or a big computer and there's a a manual that big and they, they just throw it behind them and, oh, I can put this together myself. And, of course, usually that goes terribly wrong. They kick themselves and they wish, oh, if only I'd read the manual to begin with. And yet we can be like that, Christians. We, 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 can, uh, we can try to walk the Christian walk and yet it is not conformed to the Word of God. What's it conformed to then? My own ideas, my own experiences, anything that pleases me. But since when are you the center point of Christianity? Christ is. Christ is the center point of history. Of your faith He should be. Therefore His Word... It's paramount. What he says goes. And it's important that we take that on board, and that is the doctrine, as we understand it in the New Testament, the doctrine of the apostles. The whole of the church is based, is built upon the foundation, going now back to Ephesians, is built upon the foundation of whom the apostles and the prophets, Christ the chief cornerstone. So his preachers and doctrine teachers in the Old Testament, his preachers and his doctrine teachers in the New Testament, giving them their names of prophet and of apostle, and Christ is the chief cornerstone. He joins them together. He completes the foundation of the church of the Old and the New Testament. His church, his body, his bride. You know what? What would we think of a body? I think now of a human body, where a part of the body rebels against the rest of the body. That's not a healthy thing for the body. There's rebellion. Now, when we look at a human body and we think, and we think of something that's, that's worse in a human body, it's called cancer. And that's what a cancer cell is. A cancer cell does its own thing, it does its own thing. And, and cancer is often a bad thing. Rega- regardless of whether it's benign or malignant, something's growing in a way that it shouldn't grow. And it causes pain, it causes unpleasantness, it causes agony, and many times it causes death through pain and agony. And therefore, if the body of Christ, if every cell in your body should do what the DNA tells it to do, then the body is healthy and the body is good. If every member of the body of Christ does what the DNA, the instruction manual of of life, of the Word of life, if we follow that then there is no need for all of the problems that we experience within uh, the church. And we certainly would, we won't become foul of the many false teachers that are around even today in the church where false doctrine is brought. So the Apostles' Fellowship has doctrine. But you must believe that doctrine. You must know that doctrine, and you must believe that doctrine. So what the apostles teach, and of course the apostles are constantly quoting the Old Testament, so it's not separate from that in the slightest. So we have the doctrines of the Old and the New Testament that we are to to hear and understand, and we are to believe them. We're to believe them. And that's what John then calls having fellowship with the apostles. We declare that what they teach is true and we believe it too, which means that we have fellowship with them. Because then they say this, so that when you have fellowship with us, you have fellowship with God. If you truly believe what we teach you and you, and you hear the admonitions and you, the warnings, you, you, you hear the command of the gospel to repent of your sin and to come and follow Jesus and to believe all the things that has been revealed to them, the apostles, about Jesus, then you not only have fellowship with the apostles, which means that we have a, a long history. We're not just some 20th century appearance. That, you know, We are the church, as unfortunately many churches and movements say but that we have a full history going all the way back to Golgotha. And as we understand, even going back further and further, that which was from the beginning. That we have a union. It says, and also may have fellowship with us. I'll read the whole verse. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us. You may come into the church. You may enter into uh, the body of Christ. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So all that is taught in the Scriptures that we believe, we lay hold upon, we believe, including, including the commands to believe, the commands, the many commands that there are to turn from sin and to turn to God means that we have entered into fellowship with God himself. The reason why God sent his son, the reason why God sent his prophets, even sending them early, that you would listen and have the time to listen and you would hear again and again because God knows how stubborn your heart is, that you will not repent and you will not believe. But he sends them early and he sends them often that you would hear the word of God. And so speaking, there's something of the union that we have in faith as we consider that fellowship that we would have with the apostles. The apostles' experience, we've seen the apostles' witness, some of it. The apostles' fellowship, how that is a, 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 a fellowship that we are to have. And so if we, if we are then to say anything contrary to the apostles, I would say, well, as Isaiah would say, if they do not speak according to the... To the, to the book of the testimony and uh, the word of truth there is there there is no light in them there is no light in them but if we if we believe and if we read and if we study and if we see the Jesus who was opened up to us in the work of the apostles yes and the prophets then we will have and we obey it It's not just a sitting on your backside in the pew waiting for another sermon to go by and you have not taken personal responsibility for the word that has been spoken to you from your God and from Jesus Christ who is your creator. Think about that for a moment. He who has created you against whom you have rebelled still comes forth to you personally with his good news. The patience that he has. But as we know, that patience will one day uh, run out. Either your heart will have become so hardened that you will not even bother to listen to the preaching, or death will take you and you'll die in your sins. So we've seen then the apostles' fellowship on top of the experience and the witness. But fourthly, we see in verse four the apostles' joy. The apostles' joy. Verse 4, And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. What, is he, what are they then saying? Well, all of those things that they've said, and we could, we could get deeper into what they mean in those, various, in those previous uh, three verses. But, they, but, but John, representing all the apostles, is writing unto you that your joy may be full. Do you have joy? To have joy in the Lord, and sometimes it's not very on the surface. Sometimes it's, it's shoved down because of the problems and the worries of life, and you forget about having that joy. And it's very easily done, of course, because we're looking at the problems, we're thinking about the problems, we're mulling over the, the problems, and then we forget that the Lord came into your life with the truth of the gospel. He saved your wicked soul. He did all that work, and He has brought you out of the pit of miry clay and he's embraced you as his own child, and he says, I have got a glorious eternal existence with, between you and me, that there's a fellowship that no one will ever be able to destroy. And that is the situation now that we're not experiencing all the bliss. But think, Christian, what the Lord has done for your soul. And if you meditate on that instead of all the problems, th- then the heart starts to warm up, and you start to realize, but the But the Lord Jesus Christ did all those things for me that I could not do, and He brings me into the family of God. Jesus' Father is now my Father, and I can call upon Him, and my Father loves me. God loves me. And even though I still sin against Him and I fail Him, His love does not diminish one degree. Because His love for you, repentant sinner, was never based upon you in the first place. It was never based upon you. It was never based upon what you did. It was all based upon what Christ did. And when that was applied to you, the lo- unconditional love of God still goes forth. It still goes forth even to this day. To so backslider, listen, come to the Lord Jesus Christ and you. Yes, you are legally saved, but you live a life like the devil or you live a life like a a cold-hearted Pharisee, but you must come back into that rich and warm fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so repent of those sins that stand in the way. Repent of that pride and that stubbornness and whatever else it is, and enjoy again the joy of your salvation. And they write these things, unto you that your joy may be full And so if you just consider a few of those things that he's touched upon and and, and hinted at that would give us that joy, that God looked down upon us, sinners, the people of Jesus, the elect who were fallen in their sins, whichever name we want to call them. But he looked with pity upon the people of Christ who could not save themselves, would not want to save themselves, certainly not on God's terms and still sent Jesus. He sent them to an unwilling people and he made them willing in the day of his power as we sang in Psalm 110. He made them willing. He came and brought the word and the word had an effect. He has done that work. But how did he do that work? He did that work through the incarnation. The Son of God becoming man. And then living that perfect life and performing all aspects of the gospel. Because when we think often of the gospel, when we think often about what the Lord Jesus Christ did, we often only think of those hours upon the cross. But that is merely the, the summation, that is the, 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 the top point of, of, of all those 33 and a half years of work. It includes the three and a half years of, of public ministry, but also those 30 years of sinless life. Sinless life day in and day out. No wicked thought, no wicked desire, no wicked word. He would be the best friend. He would be a very honest friend. He would he is our best friend. There's no friend better than what we have, even now. Yes, we didn't walk we didn't walk the, 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 the ways and the byways of, of the Holy Land in those times with Him. And yet that doesn't take away the fact that through the gospel He will do so still, even now. Even now, draw us to Him, that we would, we would have that time with Him and, be re- and realize, again, that's another part of that joy that they would talk about, is not just the, the incarnation, but that's incarnated. Uh, God-man has then died on the cross for your sins, but He's died upon that cross for your sins so that you could have fellowship with Him. You could have that fellowship with Him. You could have that, that life being, uh, of living with your Savior. And those of us know that in our most uh, quiet times, in our, in, our, in our spiritually most warm times, how dear and how refreshing and how delightful those times of fellowship can be. But here, let your joy be full. It's a mere foretaste of what eternity will be like where our fellowship will not be via the apostles or the doctrines of the Scriptures. They will still be valid. But it will be a direct fellowship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, with the Lord Jesus Christ, who is God, who is the eternal life, who is from the very beginning. Do not the promises of the joy of eternal life, do they not stir your soul at all? Do they not encourage you to snap out of your dead religion and dead deeds and think, I want some of that joy. I desire to have joy. I desire to be washed of my sins. I desire to have peace with God. Or do you want to die in your sins and have this glorious Redeemer that we have been speaking of be your judge, jury and executioner? Because He, that is what He will be. He will be one of two things. He will be judge or He will be saviour. And you must have Him now as your saviour. You must not die in your sin. And you don't know when you will die. You could die tomorrow under a tractor. You could die tomorrow uh, on deerfoot. foot. You could die tomorrow or begin to die tomorrow of a painful disease you knew nothing about. And as we were talking about concerns and worries in life, what were you then concerned about when you have cancer? You're concerned about the disease, you're concerned about the situation, and you're no longer thinking of the Lord. But now when you're under the preaching of the Word, when the power of God is evident in the means of grace, when hearts are softened, when ears are attentive, when Jesus is exalted before you, Why would you not now repent and believe? Don't let the heart grow cold. As I've mentioned mentioned before, but maybe something I need to spend more time on. Do not underestimate the power of the means of grace to deal with your soul sinner, to sanctify your soul believer. But we must make greedy use of them. Now is the time. Today, as is written to us there in in Hebrews 3 and and Hebrews 4. So we'll finish with that, that gospel truth. Harden not your hearts, as in the day of provocation, in the day of temptation, in the wilderness when your fathers tempted me, proved me and saw my works forty years. And then he goes on to say in chapter 3 and verse 15 of Hebrews... While it is said, today, if you will hear His voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation. In the provocation, when they would not believe at the beginning of those 40 years, and they provoked the Lord, even though they were of the Lord's people, but they provoked Him, they did not believe, they rebelled against Him, and they lost their chance of today. Is that going to be your response to the gospel? Are you going to rebel Are you going to ignore it? Are you going to say, oh, well, it it can wait. It cannot wait. The gospel language is, you hear the gospel today, repent and believe. How do I repent? You come before God with a godly sorrow. You pray that the Lord would forgive you for Christ's sake, that he would cleanse you for Christ's sake. For nothing in me, God, but because of what Jesus Christ has done. Forgive me my sin and give me new life. Repent and believe. as the only commands that you have. Not praying for a a, a fresh image of, 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 of Christ in some other way. Not looking and asking God to give me a new heart. But to do that which, or through which, God promises he will give a new heart. Is repent and believe. May God bless his word to your souls even this evening. Amen. Let us pray. We thank thank Thee, Lord, for Thy precious Word. We thank Thee for the witness of the apostles. We thank Thee, Lord, that Thou didst send Thy Son to become uh, fully man, the God-man, that He who has eternally reigned with Thee and the Holy Ghost came down to earth and took on our flesh and blood and that he lived those perfect lives, that perfect life in those many years, so that he would be nailed to the cross as the Lamb of God, and that he would take away the sins of all his people. And Lord, thou knowest those who are present this evening, who are outside of Christ and therefore still in their sins, that outside of Christ they're under the bondage to the devil and death, that are outside of Christ and they have no hope in and of themselves. And so, Lord, we pray as they've been under the means of grace for thee to soften hearts and to give gospel yearnings and to give them that boldness that they would call upon the name of the Lord. And having that threefold promise that whosoever calleth upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And, Lord, why are they mute? Why do they not get onto their knees even now? Why do they not bemoan their sins before thee? Lord, thou knowest. Lord, cause them to hate that sin that they love and to come to God and love him whom they hate. Lord, have mercy, we pray. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.